Section 19 of Junior Classics Volume 5 Stories that Never Grow Old. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Hatiknot. Junior Classics Volume 5 Stories that Never Grow Old. Edited by William Patton. Section 19 The Building of the Boat by Daniel Defoe. Having now brought my mind a little to relish my condition, and given over looking out to sea to see if I could spy a ship, I say giving over these things, I began to apply myself to arrange my way of living, and to make things as easy to me as I could. My habitation was a tent under the side of a rock, surrounded with a strong pair of posts and cables. But I might now rather call it a wall, for I raised a kind of wall up against it of turfs about two feet thick on the outside. And after some time, I think it was a year and a half, I raised drafters from it leaning to the rock, and thatched or covered it with boughs of trees and such things as I could get to keep out the rain, which I found at some times of the year very violent. I have already observed how I brought all my goods into this pile and into the cave which I had made behind me, but I must observe too that at first this was a confused heap of goods, which as they lay in no order so they took up all my place, I had no room to turn myself. So I set myself to enlarge my cave and work farther into the earth, for it was a loose sandy rock which yielded easily to the labor I bestowed on it. And so, when I found I was pretty safe as to beast of prey, I worked sideways to the right hand into the rock, and then turning to the right again worked quite out, and made me a door to come out on the outside of my pale of fortification. This gave me not only egress and regress, as it was a back way to my tent and to my storehouse, but gave me room to store my goods. And now I began to apply myself to make such necessary things as I found I most wanted, particularly a chair and a table, for without these I was not able to enjoy the few comforts I had in the world. I could not write or eat or do several things with so much pleasure without a table. So I went to work. And here I must needs observe that as reason is the substance and origin of the mathematics, so by stating and squaring everything by reason, and by making the most rational judgment of things, Every man may be, in time, master of every mechanic art. I had never handled a tool in my life, and yet, in time, by labor, application, and contrivance, I found at last that I wanted nothing, but I could have made it, especially if I had a tools. However, I made abundance of things even without tools, and some with no more tools than a net and a hatchet, which perhaps were never made that way before, and that with infinite labor. For example, if I wanted a board, I had no other way but to cut down a tree, set it on an edge before me, and hew it flat on either side with my axe, till I brought it to be thin as a plank, and then dab it smooth with my ass. It is true by this method I could make but one board out of a whole tree, but this I had no remedy for but patience, any more than I had for the prodigious deal of time and labor which it took me up to make a plank or board. But my time or labor was little worth, and so it was as well employed one way as another. However, I made me a table and a chair, as I observed above, in the first place, and this I did out of the short pieces of boards that I brought on my raft from the ship. But when I had wrought out some boards as above, I made large shelves of the breadth of a foot and a half, one over another, all along one side of my cave, to lay all my tools, nails, and ironwork on, and, in a word, to separate everything at large into their places, that I might come easily at them. I knocked pieces into the wall of the rock to hang my guns and all things that would hang up, so that had my cave been to be seen, it looked like a general magazine of all necessary things, and I had everything so ready at my hand that it was a great pleasure to me to see all my goods in such order, 
and especially to find my stock of all necessaries so great. And now it was that I began to keep a journal of every day's employment. For indeed, at first I was in too much hurry, and not only hurry as to labor, but in too much discomposure of mind, and my journal would have been full of many dull things. You may be sure my thoughts ran many times upon the prospect of land which I had seen from the other side of the island, and I was not without secret wishes that I were on shore there, fancying that seeing the mainland and an inhabited country, I might find some way or other to convey myself further, and perhaps at last find some means of escape. But all this while I made no allowance for the dangers of such an undertaking, and how I might fall into the hands of savages, and perhaps such as I might have reason to think far worse than the lions and tigers of Africa, that if I once came in their power, I should run a hazard of more than a thousand to one of being killed, and perhaps of being eaten. For I had heard that the people of the Caribbean coast were cannibals or man-eaters, and I knew by the latitude that I could not be far from that shore. Then supposing they were not cannibals, yet they might kill me, as many Europeans who had fallen into their hands had been served, even when they had been ten or twenty together. Much more I, that was but one, and could make little or no defense. All these things, I say, which I ought to have considered well, and it come into my thoughts afterwards, it gave me no apprehensions at first, and my head ran mightily upon the thought of getting over to the shore. Now I wished for my boizuri, and the long boat with shoulder of mutton sail, with which I sailed above a thousand miles on the coast of Africa. But this was in vain. Then I thought I would go and look at our ship's boat, which, as I have said, was blown up upon the shore a great way in the storm when we were first cast away. She lay almost where she did at first, but not quite, and was turned by the force of the waves and the winds almost bottom upward, against the high ridge of beach of sand, but no water about her. If I had had hands to have refitted her, and to have launched her into the water, the boat would have done well enough, and I might have gone back into the Brazils with her easily enough. But I might have foreseen that I could no more turn her and set her upright upon her bottom than I could remove the island. However, I went to the woods and cut levers and drollers, and brought them to the boat, resolving to try what I could do, suggesting to myself that if I could but turn her down, I might repair the damage she had received, and she would be a very good boat, and I might go to sea in her very easily. I spared no pence indeed in this piece of fruitless toil, and spent, I think, three or four weeks about it. At last, finding it impossible to heave it up with my little strength, I fell to digging away the sand to undermine it and so to make it fall down, setting pieces of wood to thrust and guide it right in the fall. But when I had done this, I was unable to stir it up again or to get under it, much less to move it forward towards the water. So I was forced to give it over. And yet, though I gave over the hopes of the boat, my desire to venture over to the mainland increased rather than decreased, as the means for it seemed impossible. This at length put me upon thinking whether it was not possible to make myself a canoe or periagua, such as the natives of those climates make, even without tools, or as I might say without hands, of the trunk of a great tree. This I not only thought possible but easy, and pleased myself extremely with the thoughts of making it, and with my having much more convenience for it than any of the Negroes or Indians, but not at all considering the particular inconvenience which I lay under more than the Indians did, this want of hands to move it when it was made into the water, a difficulty much harder for me to surmount than all the consequences of want of tools could be to them. For what was it to me if, when I had chosen a vast tree in the woods, and with much trouble cut it down, if I had been able with my tools to hew and dub the outside into the proper shape of a boat, and burn or cut out the inside to make it hollow, so as to make a boat of it, if after all this I must leave it just there where I found it, and not be able to launch it into the water? 
One would have thought I could not have had the least reflection upon my mind of my circumstances while I was making this boat, but I should have immediately thought how I should get it into the sea. But my thoughts were so intent upon my voyage over the sea in it that I never once considered how I should get it off the land. And it was really in its own nature more easy for me to guide it over 45 miles of sea than about 45 fathoms of land where it lay to set it afloat in the water. I went to work upon this boat the most like a fool that ever man did who had any of his senses awake. I pleased myself with the design without determining that I was ever able to undertake it. Not but that the difficulty of launching my boat came often into my head, but I put a stop to my inquiries into it by this foolish answer which I gave myself. Let me first make it. I warrant I will find some way or other to get it along when it is done. This was a most preposterous method, but the eagerness of my fancy prevailed, and to work I went. I felt a cedar tree, and I questioned much whether Solomon ever had such a one for the building of the Temple of Jerusalem. It was five feet ten inches diameter at the lower part next to the stump, and four feet eleven inches diameter at the end of twenty-two feet, after which it lessened for a while and then parted into branches. It was not without infinite labor that I felled this tree. I was twenty days hacking and hewing at it at the bottom. I was fourteen more getting the branches and limbs and the vast spreading head cutter, which I hacked and hewed through with axe and hatchet, and inexpressible labor. After this, it cost me a month to shape it and dub it to a proportion and to something like the bottom of a boat, that it might swim upright as it ought to do. It cost me near three months more to clear the inside and worked it out so as to make an exact boat of it. This I did indeed without fire, by a mere mallet and chisel, and by the dint of hard labor, till I had brought it to be a very handsome periagua, and big enough to have carried six and twenty men, and consequently big enough to have carried me and all my cargo. When I had gone through this work, I was extremely delighted with it. The boat was really much bigger than ever I saw a canoe or periagua that was made of one tree in my life. Many a weary stroke it had cost, you may be sure. And had I gotten it into the water, I make no question but I should have begun the maddest voyage and the most unlikely to be performed that was ever undertaken. But all my devices to get it into the water failed me, though they cost me infinite labor too. It lay about 100 yards from the water and not more, but the first inconvenience was it was uphill towards the creek. Well, to take away this discouragement, I resolved to dig into the surface of the earth and so make a declivity. This I began, and it cost me a prodigious deal of pains. But who grudge pains who have their deliverance in view? But when this was worked through, and this difficulty managed, it was still much the same, for I could no more steer the canoe than I could the other boat. Then I measured the distance of ground, and resolved to cut a dock or canal to bring the water up to the canoe, seeing I could not bring the canoe down to the water. Well, I began this work, and when I began to enter upon it, and calculate how deep it was to be dug, how broad, how the stuff was to be thrown out, I found that by the number of hands I had, being none but my own, it must have been ten or twelve years before I could have gone through with it, for the shore lay so high that at the upper end it must have been at least twenty feet deep. So at length, though with great reluctancy, I gave this attempt over also. This grieved me heartily, and now I saw, though too late, the folly of beginning a work before we count the cost, and before we judge rightly of our own strength to go through with it. In the middle of this work, I finished my fourth year in this place, and kept my anniversary with the same devotion and with as much comfort as ever before. In the first place, I was removed from all the wickedness of the world here. I had neither the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eye, nor the pride of life. I had nothing to covet, for I had all that I was now capable of enjoying. I was lord of the whole manor, or, if I pleased, I might call myself king or emperor over the whole country which I had possession of. 
There were no rivals. I had no competitors, none to dispute sovereignty or command with me. I might have raised shiploadings of corn, but I had no use for it, so I let as little grow as I thought enough for my occasion. I had tortoise or turtle enough, but now and then one was as much as I could put to any use. I had timber enough to have built a fleet of ships, and I had grapes enough to have made wine or to have cured into raisins to have loaded that fleet when it had been built. But all I could make use of was all that was valuable. I had enough to eat and to supply my wants, and what was all the rest to me? If I cut more flesh than I could eat, the dog must eat it or vermin. If I sowed more corn than I could eat, it must be spoiled. The trees that I cut down were lying to rot on the ground. I could make no more use of them but for fuel, and that I had no occasion for but to dress my food. In a word, the nature and experience of things dictated to me upon just reflection that all the good things in this world are no farther good to us than they are for our use, and that whatever we may heap up to give others, we enjoy just as much as we can use, and no more. The most covetous griping miser in the world would have been cured of the vice of covetousness if he had been in my case, for I possessed infinitely more than I knew what to do with. End of section 19